Come on, Watford. One last effort. You can do it. All right, then. No, you can't. It's December the 1st, 1900, and Stan Roberts, a Watford supporter for nearly 20 years, leaves the West Arts Club and ground disappointed. He lifts his collar against the cold and sets off to visit the love of his life, Sally, to tell her how Watford got on today. Sally isn't far away. She's on Vicarage Road, which is only 500 yards as the crow flies, across one of the many fields here on the edge of town. Stands in a crowd of 2,000 people leaving the ground, shuffling slowly through the same gate, spilling out onto Cassio Road. They're mainly men, all of whom are wearing suits and hats. Stan nips through a line of horse-drawn vehicles and quickens his pace. He just wants to be with Sally again. He wishes he had better news for her. Watford have just lost their sixth game in a row, 2-1 against Millwall in the Southern League Division 1. The team's finding it hard in the top division after last season's promotion. They've played 11 games and only won one. It was a good one, mind. A 2-1 win over the champions Tottenham Hotspur. He loved that one. The only disappointment was that Sally wasn't there, so they couldn't enjoy it together. She didn't miss much today, though. Watford looked like they'll end up relegated. By the time Stan's on Merton Road, the crowd has thinned out. He turns onto Vicarage Road, heading towards the Union Workhouse. He's nearly with Sally now. She'll be glad to hear that the new signing, Andrew Hamilton, has scored his first goal for the club, he thinks. And she'll want to know how Jack Cother played today. Stan will say the same thing he always says. Jack was rugged in the tackle, Sal. It's one of their jokes, though he can't remember how it started. As he runs along, Stan pictures how Sally's going to smile when he says it. Now he's at her gate. The gate's closed, but he climbs over. He carries on into the Vicarage Road Cemetery and heads for her grave. Hornet Heaven Staying Alive Written by Ollie Wicken, read by Colin Mace. Earth Season, 1900-1901. Stan sits on the grass beside his wife's gravestone, leaning forwards, elbows on knees. Dreadful we was, Sal, he says. Yuda hated it. No tactics. Nothing. Stan misses watching games with Sally. She was amazing. She could see things he couldn't, like the way pushing the half-back line backwards or forwards a few yards can change the balance of a game. He always used to say she should have been the manager and taught the players a fig or two. They definitely need some teaching this season, but Watford are a club that doesn't seem particularly interested in managers. It's crazy we ain't got a manager, Sal. It's crazy we ain't never had one. 
All the top teams have them these days. We ain't never going to compete in this division if we don't get ourselves a gaffer. Stan sits in silence at the graveside and worries about Watford's future. He thinks back to the chats he had with Sally at the end of last season, just after Watford had won a test match to clinch promotion to Division 1. There's a financial chasm between the league's two divisions, and he and Sally were worried about the dangers of Watford accepting promotion and turning fully professional. They weren't the only ones to worry. Watford's former captain Freddie Sargent had written to the Watford Observer warning of the ruination of the club. With the wage bill the club's got these days, Sal, it's going to be a disaster if we're relegated again. Stan says this to Sally's headstone, imagining the way she used to purse her lips when she was thinking deeply. He can still picture her clearly because it was shortly after Watford's promotion that she died, just six months ago. Picturing her still hurts. I'll miss you, Sal, he says. Stan lets his head drop. It's been a terrible six months. He lost Sally, then he lost his job, money's short. He's worried about his health, too. He's had a couple of funny turns recently. Sal would have known what was wrong. She was a nurse. After four decades of marriage, she knew him inside out. He was always the one for me, Sal, me old Dutch. He starts to sing. It's what he used to sing when he'd take Sally in his arms and dance around their front room at home. An old music hall number. We've been together now for forty years And it don't seem a day too much There ain't a lady living in the land As I'd swap for me dear Old Dutch Stan sang the same song to Sally as he held her hand on the night the cancer finally took her, at home, on the bed they'd shared for so many years. It's another thing that hurts. He looks up at Sally's gravestone. I've had enough, Sal, he says. I don't want to be down here on me own no more. I'm going to join you. Tomorrow morning. The next morning, Stan has put on his Sunday best. He straightens his tie and buttons up his jacket. He's in his front room on the ground floor of the building he lives in. Through the window he can see Watford's home ground across Cassio Road. He's standing on a chair. There's a noose beside his head. He places his head through the noose and looks down on the room where he used to dance with Sally and sing to her. In his mind's eye, he can see the two of them dancing. He smiles. His memories of his life on earth with Sally are good. Here at home and across the road watching Watford. Now he's going to spend the rest of eternity with her, wherever she is. There ain't a lady living in the land As I'd swap for me dear Old Dutch he steps forward off the chair. The noose tightens 
On the dining table behind him, he's left the ledger in which Sally used to write down all of Watford's results, with her tactical notes on each match. Now, as he hangs, suspended, his body turns, and the sight of the ledger prompts his oxygen-deprived brain to flash up memories of their watching Watford together. He's standing with Sally in Vicarage Meadow in 1882 to watch Watford Rovers for the first time, a 5-2 win over Bourne Hall, and they're loving every moment. They're in Rose and Crown Meadow in 1886, congratulating Henry Grover that the club he started five years ago is now good enough to be playing its first ever game in the FA Cup. He's kissing Sally on the cheek in 1889 as they watch Freddie Sargent lift the club's first trophy, the Hearts County Cup. They're cheering Lord Clarendon in 1890 as he kicks off the first game at the club's brand new ground, Casio Road. They're standing on the touchline at the club's first league match in 1896, cheering a 5-0 win over Wickham Wanderers. Hey! Hey! Just as Stan's eyes are about to roll up into his head, he becomes aware of a commotion outside the window. Hey! His body twists round on the rope and he sees a 16-year-old boy calling out to him. What are you doing, Mr Stanley Roberts? Go away! Putting a rope around your neck is dangerous, Mr Stanley Roberts. Stan recognises the boy as Archibald, whose mother lives in the same building on the floor above. He feels bad that the kid is having to see this. He stretches out a foot and gets himself back onto the chair. He loosens the noose so he can shout at the boy to scare him away. Get out of here, he shouts. But Archibald just stands and stares. He's always been a strange lad. Stan yells again, to no effect. Then he swears at the boy. This gets a reaction. Archibald puts his hands over his ears and closes his eyes and starts swaying. Then Archibald drops out of view. Oh, for God's sake! Stan rolls his eyes up into his head. Intentionally. He can't not go and see to the boy. He slips the noose off his neck and gets down off the chair. After Archibald has stopped rocking backwards and forwards on the ground outside, Stan helps the teenager into the building and through the front door. He sits Archibald down at the dining table. Do you want a glass of water, son? I don't like water because it doesn't taste of anything. There's nothing to like, and I'm not your son. Stan has seen Archibald around the place, but the kid's mother keeps him away from people, so they'd never spoken before. Stan can already tell their conversation isn't going to be normal. Calling me son is lying, and I do not like it when people lie to me. Stan has been thinking it would be best to let Archibald regain his strength before taking the boy back up to his mother upstairs. Now he's not so sure. He sits down at the table opposite Archibald. His neck feels hot and sore. What's that there? Archibald asks pointing at Sally's ledger on the table. That, that was me wife's. I didn't ask whose it is, Mr Stanley Roberts. I asked what it is. Stan doesn't think a 16-year-old lad should be talking to him like this, but he's too exhausted to put Archibald in his place. It's a book she wrote things in, he says. She wrote down stuff about football matches. Watford Football Club matches? Yeah, you were a supporter yourself then. I don't go to matches. I support the team from afar. Across the road ain't hardly far. 
Can I look inside the book, please, Mr Stanley Roberts? Stan pushes the ledger towards Archibald. The boy opens it and turns through dozens of pages that record the dates, results and scorers of several seasons of Watford matches along with tactical observations. Archibald says, Watford Football Club won all ten of their home matches in the 1899-1900 season. Stan knows this fact from having watched the games. He's amazed if Archibald has worked it out so quickly from Sally's records. And they conceded only four goals, Archibald adds. Stan's impressed. He can't resist the opportunity to discuss one of his favourite topics. Last season was a great season, he says. Our own form's what got us promoted. You should have come along to the games, Archibald. 4-0 over Brentford, 2-1 over Fulham. We put 11 past Maidenhead. I don't go to football matches because they're frightening. Frightening? Why? Because there are lots of people there and they shout. Yesterday there were 2,073 people. Eh? How do you know so exact? I counted them from my front window. Blimey! That's incredible. What about the game before that, against QPR in the Cup? That was Saturday, November the 12th, 1900, and there were 3,112 people. Stan's starting to feel he's in the presence of some kind of mathematical genius. He watches Archibald flick through the pages again. The kid is a bit of an odd'un, but there's something about him that Stan's warming to. The lad's a Watford supporter, after all. Archibald asks, Why do the records stop at the end of last season, Mr Stanley Roberts? Stan hesitates. It's a simple enough question, but the answer's upset him. Well, my wife, she... My wife ain't been here to write things down. Archibald doesn't seem to pick up on the meaning of this and keeps flicking through the pages of the ledger. I keep records of things too. I have a list of what I like and what I do not like and a list of my behavioural problems and a list of every prime number although I haven't finished that list because there are infinitely many prime numbers. Would you like me to fill in the Watford Football Club records for your wife if she's not here? The question catches Stan by surprise. He watches Archibald studying the ledger and thinks about what Sally would want. She'd like that very much, he says. And I would too, he adds. That afternoon, Stan is back at Sally's grave in Vicarage Road Cemetery, in pouring rain. He's come to apologise that he hasn't joined her yet. Sorry, Sal, he says. It didn't go how I planned. Something good's come of it, though. Your ledger has a new home. Do you remember the kid from the floor above at our place? That strange lad, Archibald. He's going to carry on filling in the scores. Stan pulls up his collar to stop drips from his cap from trickling down his neck. He's a funny kid right enough. I spoke to his mother. She struggles with him. The doctors have him down as an imbecile. And he suffers from epilepsy, she said. But I tell you, Sal, he ain't half clever with numbers and facts. Much cleverer than me. So I reckon he'll do a good job on your ledger. He'll keep going what you started. Stan glances past Sally's headstone across the open field to the football ground at Cassio Road. He can just about see the wooden pavilion through the downpour 
Not that this season is worth writing down, really. We're bound to get relegated. We're playing at Southampton Saturday. They've been champions three of the last four years. They've got three England internationals, Robinson, Chadwick and Turner. He shakes his head at the thought. I don't want to find out how many goals we let in against that lot. Stan looks up at the black clouds overhead. He's cold, tired and soaking wet. It can't be good for his health, he thinks. But then he remembers it doesn't matter. He'll be with Sally on the other side later today or tomorrow. Gently, he runs a hand across the top of her headstone, as if to try and keep her dry. But the rain keeps coming down. I'm on me way, me old Dutch. The next day, Monday morning, Stan puts on his Sunday best again. The suit's still slightly damp, but it's dry enough to be respectable, he reckons, when someone finds him and takes him down. He stands on the chair again, in the middle of the front room. He looks across at the West Arts Pavilion. He thinks to himself that he'll never find out how Watford do against Southampton on Saturday, or in any match ever again. Then he's not bothered. He's about to put the noose around his neck when there's movement outside the window. He sees it's Archibald's mother going out somewhere. She doesn't see Stan, so he carries on and loops the noose around his neck. Here I come, Sal, he says, and steps off the chair. He dangles, feeling the rope constrict his neck. Then he hears a thump. He's not sure from where. Then there's another, and he realises it's coming from above his ceiling. He hears several more thumps. It's like there's a fight going on. It's coming from Archibald's place upstairs. Stan gets himself back onto the chair. He loosens the noose and goes to see what's happening. He goes out into the hall and up the stairs. The thumping is coming from behind Archibald's door. Stan tries the door. Archibald's mother has left it unlocked. He goes in. On the floor of the front room, Archibald is having a seizure. The boy's limbs are jerking uncontrollably. Stan hurries over, frightened, not sure what to do. It's all right, Archibald. It's Stan from downstairs. I'm here with you. Stan's heard that epileptics can swallow their tongues. Then he remembers Sally saying you should never put anything in the mouth of someone having a fit. Stan takes off his Sunday best jacket. He folds it and eases it beneath Archibald's head to prevent injury. Just trying to protect you, Archie. He watches as the teenager's convulsions slow down and then come to a stop. He checks that Archibald's breathing again. Then he turns the boy onto his side into the recovery position. Don't worry, kid, Stan whispers. I'm going to stay with you. Half an hour later, Stan watches Archibald wake up on the floor. The boy's eyes swim into focus. Hello, Stan says. How are you feeling? Archibald stares at him. Your wife's football match records are incomplete, Mr Stanley Roberts. Stan is reminded that conversations aren't normal with Archibald because she didn't write notes on away matches. Stan guesses Archibald must be feeling all right enough if this is what the boy wants to talk about. Weren't it enough she wrote down the scores, Stan says. Anyone could copy scores from a newspaper. Why didn't she write detailed notes, Mr Stanley Roberts? Because we never went to watch away matches, 
Archibald sits up. Well, if I'm going to keep records of Watford Football Club matches, Mr Stanley Roberts, I'll need information from all their matches. It's no use my recording the number of tackles and successful passes and successful interceptions and such like if I don't have the same information from games that I can't see from my window, Mr Stanley Roberts. Well, that's going to be... Where are Watford Football Club playing their next game? Southampton. Archibald looks straight at Stan. Then you need to go and count everything for me. Early on the following Saturday morning, Stan finds himself getting on a train at Watford Junction. The reason he's going to Southampton isn't just to carry out Archibald's orders, though he has agreed to do the boys' counting for him. This week, the more he thought about going to an away match in another part of the country, the more he wanted to try it. Following Watford further afield than across the road felt like it would be an adventure. He spoke to Sally about it, at her grave this week, which was how he talked himself into it. He told her that he's never been to the South Coast, that Southampton's ground is called the Dell, which makes it sound as if it's somewhere lovely and countryfied, that the stadium can hold as many as 24,500 spectators, which is far more than Casio Road, that it'll be a day out, which he hasn't had recently, and that she'll love hearing all about it when he gets back. And now, here he is, on the train. He's got a pencil and a notebook, and for today at least, something to live for. When Stan gets to the Dell, he's impressed. The place is only two years old, and was designed as a proper purpose-built stadium, with stands down both sides. He loves the way the ground has been constructed within a natural bowl. So you enter the ground at the top of the banking you're going to stand on with the pitch down below. He wishes Watford could play their home games at a ground built the same way. Maybe one day they will. The weather is fine, with a strong breeze blowing straight down the pitch. Throughout the match, Stan makes a note of all the things Archibald has asked him to keep a record of though he gives up on trying to estimate the angles of the passes. He also tries to watch the game with a more tactical eye so he can attempt to make the kind of observations that Sally used to include in her notes. But he just can't see the patterns she used to see. Watford are playing in their usual yellow, red and green stripes and black knickerbockers. Southampton are a very good side. They got to the FA Cup final last season and will win the title this season, but Watford battle hard. The Saints score a goal after 35 minutes from their 11th shot, Stan notes, and for the rest of the game, Watford give as good as they get. In the end though, despite nine second half shots, they can't score and lose the game 1-0. Stan's not unhappy though. Jack Cuther wasn't playing for Watford today, but Stan will be able to tell Sally that the old team were rugged in the tackle. He feels proud of the fight his team put up on enemy territory. As the Dell empties, he heads back to the recently built West Southampton station on the shorefront to catch his train home. He feels he might be getting a taste for this away match lark. The next day, Stan takes his notes on the match to Archibald. The teenager gets straight to work, filling in a new page in Sally's ledger. Stan waits and watches the boy adding to Sally's records. 
Something about the sight makes him feel a contentment he hasn't felt for a long time. Later in the week, he goes and gets himself some paid work to help him afford more trips to watch Watford away from home. When he visits Sally at the cemetery, he tells her to think of him as her reporter down on earth, giving her the detail they'll both miss when they're together in the afterlife. On the Saturday, he travels to Chatham to see Watford get their first away point of the season, though the match becomes null and void when Chatham resigned from the league later in the month. The next game at home to Bristol City the following weekend is equally fruitless. It's abandoned at nil-nil after 75 minutes owing to bad light. Stan has to wait until after Christmas for the next valid match. It's an away game against Watford's relegation rivals, Swindon Town, at the county ground. Stan goes by train again. He travels home with a full notebook and Watford travel home with a first away point that won't be wiped from the record. At the end of a good day out, Stan wonders if Watford have turned the corner at last and begins to harbour hopes that the club won't be relegated and end up in financial ruin after all. He might actually end up enjoying this season. Hello, Mrs Enfield. Archie and I are gonna... Oh yes, he told me. It's kind of you. He's in the front room, Mr Roberts. Come in. Two weeks later, Stan has had the idea of watching the next home match with Archibald from the boys' window. Hello, Archie. You sure you're happy for me to watch with you today? If you distract me from keeping my records, Mr Stanley Roberts, I will hit you. Stan's got used to conversations with Archibald now. They go to the window. The view across the road to the pitch isn't too bad. Despite the dull weather, visibility is good, though some of the pitch is obscured by the spectators standing behind the ropes on the near touchline. The reason Stan's here isn't just to keep Archibald company during the game. It's a way of saving himself entrance money ahead of the cost of next week's away trip to Tottenham. He also wants to watch Archibald fill in Sally's ledger during the course of the game. He realises this is a bit sentimental, wanting to involve Sally in the watching of a Watford match, but he hopes it will distract him a little from the tension of today's game. It's the local derby against them from up the road. Luton Town Football Club are on my list of things I don't like, Mr Stanley Roberts. You and me, Archie. I can't stand losing to them. Stan's starting to feel a real connection with Archibald. He ruffles Archibald's hair. Stop! I do not like it when people touch me. Wow, steady on. All right, I won't do it again. They watch from the window as the match kicks off. Archibald has barely noted down that Watford are defending the park end goal in the first half when the ball is in Luton's net. Yes! Stan shouts out of the window. He turns to Archibald in excitement. Archibald is staring out of the window, unmoved. Do not shout, Mr Stanley Roberts. Shouting frightens me. Also, the goal has been disallowed. The boy proves to be correct, and the score remains nil-nil until five minutes before half-time. At that point, Watford's winger, Jack Price, crosses the ball and centre-forward, Bob Parkinson, bustles it into the Luton net. Stan manages not to shout. One goal to nil to Watford Football Club. Archibald notes. Good old Bob Parkinson, Stan enthuses. 
He used to play for that lot a few years ago, but he's put that right. At half-time, Stan has a sit-down away from the window. He's been feeling a few palpitations in his chest from all the excitement. Then in the second half, Watford have another goal disallowed for an offside decision against inside forward Watty Allen and it starts to become one-way traffic towards the Luton goal except for a counter-attack that's stopped by Jack Cother. Rugged in the tackle, Stan smiles to himself. Watford goes straight back up the other end. We're all over them, Stan says. How many corners is that now? Eight, Mr Stanley Roberts, Archibald replies, making a note in Sally's ledger. Stan smiles to himself even more warmly. Late on in the game, Bob Parkinson gets the ball on the halfway line and sets off on a run. Go on, Bob, Stan says, as loudly as he dares without upsetting Archibald. Parkinson runs half the length of the field and crosses to Algie Varley, a dentist who only turned professional for Watford last month. Varley has just a goalkeeper to beat. Stick it away, Algie, Stan urges. Algie Varley puts the ball in the net and there's a delayed roar from across the road. Watford have beaten the filthy atters. Stan lifts his face to the sky and stretches his arms out wide as if, at this moment of pure joy, he's ready for his God to take him now. His heart races. He closes his eyes and pictures Sally. That is Mr Algie Varley's ninth goal in 34 appearances for Watford Football Club, Mr Stanley Roberts, Archibald says, and the moment is over. At the final whistle, Stan thanks Archibald and Mrs Enfield for their hospitality and goes off to the cemetery to tell Sally all about the game. He has no way of knowing, but this has been the last time on earth he'll see Archibald. The next weekend, Stan arrives back in Watford after a trip to White Hart Lane. He liked Tottenham's new ground, with its wooden terraces and a white picket fence surrounding the pitch, but he didn't like what he had to write down in his notebook for Archibald. Watford took a 7-0 beating. Stan walks home across town, stopping a couple of times when he feels palpitations. As soon as he's inside his building, he goes up the stairs to give Archibald his notes. He has to pause halfway up. He manages the last few steps up to Archibald's front door. Hello? Archibald? Mrs Enfield? Mrs Enfield opens the door. Stan notices she's holding Sally's ledger. Oh, hello Mrs Enfield, he says. Is Archibald... He realises Mrs Enfield has been crying. Are you all right? What's the matter? I'm... I'm afraid Archibald's not here, Mr Roberts. He's in London. At the game? But he don't like going to football matches. No. He's in hospital. Oh, no. Is the boy bad? He had another seizure. This one just went on and on. His brain's damaged. Oh, no. He's at a special hospital in Queen Square. The National Hospital for the Paralysed and Epileptic. But they don't hold out much hope. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. I... Stan doesn't know what to say. Mrs Enfield hands him the ledger. Archibald told me this was your wife's. I thought you'd want it back. Stan takes the ledger. He looks down at it. It was Sally's, but he thinks of it as Archibald's now. Thank you, Mr Roberts, for all your kindness with Archibald. No, I. it was nothing. He... Stan stares at the ledger. He can't seem to find words. His eyes fill. He helped me. The next morning, Stan visits Sally's grave in Vicarage Road Cemetery. During the night, he took the noose out of its drawer a couple of times, but this morning, he can see a bit further. I've decided, Sal, he says. I'm going to keep going as long as I can before I join you. I still want to know if Watford stay up or not, and, I don't know, this sounds stupid. I want to keep on filling in Archibald's records for him, because he can't do it anymore, the poor kid. I want to complete the season for him. Stan has looked ahead at Watford's fixture list. There were 12 games left and Watford are bottom of the table. Two wins behind Swindon. If they can't climb out of the bottom two places, they'll have to play a test match against one of the top two teams from the division below to see if they're staying up or getting relegated. The whole thing probably won't be decided until the end of April. I'm gonna soldier on me old Dutch. For you. And for Archibald. Three weeks later in mid-February, Stan shuffles into St Mary's Church for his second funeral in the last nine months. Thank you for coming, Mrs Enfield whispers as they sit together in an otherwise empty nave. You have me condolences, Stan says. It's what people say to the bereaved at times like this. And Stan hopes it will help Mrs Enfield a bit more than hearing it helped him when he lost Sally. He sits silently and stares at Archibald's coffin. The news of the boy's death has knocked him a bit. He almost didn't go to Portsmouth at the weekend. Watford lost, of course. They've only won one point away from home all season. He wishes Watford could give him some joy while he does the right thing by Archibald and completes the ledger for the season. It shouldn't be out of the question. There's only three more away fixtures to come and seven home games, so if the team could put a run of home form together, he'd be able to enjoy the next few weeks. He gazes at the light coming through the stained glass window beyond Archibald's coffin. Surely Watford can get it together to beat teams like Reading and Bristol Rovers who are nothing special, and Kettering, New Brompton and Gravesend United definitely aren't much cop. Five wins from those games might save the season. A couple of minutes later, inspired by the memory of Archibald's mathematical genius, Stan has mentally calculated that another 10 points could be enough for Watford to avoid having to play in a relegation test match at the end of April. Stan says quietly towards the coffin, We're going to be alright, Archie. We can do this. The next Sunday, Watford beat New Brompton 2-1. Bob Parkinson and Watford's captain Mickey Good score the goals. 
Yes, it's happening, Stan cries out. We've turned our form around. He hurries from the ground to the cemetery to tell Sally. Two one, Sal, he says when he arrives at her grave. Things are looking up. We might actually stay up. He sits on the ground next to the headstone to catch his breath. His mind is already turning towards his trip to watch Watford at Bristol Rovers next Saturday. It's a strange old thing. Hope. When Watford was showing no signs of winning, Stan just wanted to join Sally in the afterlife, where, he assumes, the two of them will never hear anything about Watford ever again. Today, though, he doesn't want to join her until he knows that Watford haven't been relegated and that the club won't be going out of business. I don't want to die wondering, he tells her. When I walk through them pearly gates, Sal, I want to be sure the club's staying alive. That's all I want now. But come Monday, April the 29th, 1901, the calculations Stan made at the funeral haven't proved up to the standards of Archibald's mathematics. Watford did finish the season with another ten points, but they still ended up in the bottom two. This evening, they're playing a one-off test match against Grays United from the division below. Unlike Watford's recent form, the weather today has been magnificent. The skies are clear, meaning there's no risk of bad light stopping the game. Before it goes dark tonight, the outcome will decide which team will play in Division 2 next season and which will play in Division 1. Relegation will be catastrophic for Watford, now that they're fully professional. In Division 2, they wouldn't get the gate income they need to pay their players. Freddie Sargent's prediction of the ruination of the club could come true tonight, before Stan's very eyes. Stan takes up a spot at the park end of the ground with his notebook and pencil, so he'll be able to complete the season's records when he gets home. He's nervous about the outcome. He just wants to be sure Watford are going to survive, as a club, after he's gone. This afternoon, he had a few palpitations and went to talk to Sally in the cemetery to try to stay calm. Not many other Watford fans seem as bothered as Stan, though. He's no Archibald when it comes to counting crowds, but he reckons there's only 500 spectators in the ground and a fair few of them are supporting Grays United. He's disappointed there isn't an extra large crowd of locals wanting to try and help save the club. Tonight seems to matter more to him than it does to the rest of the town. He's also disappointed when he sees the team line-up. The side has been short on goals all season and Bob Parkinson, who scored two in his last two games, is absent. In fact, the Watford team overall isn't nearly as strong as it could be. Only six of tonight's 11 were playing the last time the team won. He knows facts like this from what he's been writing down in Sally and Archibald's ledger and getting involved in so much detail has definitely helped intensify his interest recently. But now, it's only the result that matters. Watford don't have to win, they just mustn't lose. Please don't lose, he begs the team under his breath. The game kicks off. The first half is an awful game of football, with very little for Stan to record in his notebook. The second half is livelier, but with the score still nil-nil, he starts to get even more nervous. A single goal could send Watford down. There's a terrifying moment when Grays hit the crossbar. Stan's heart misses a beat or two. He nearly faints, 
but Watford get the ball clear. Then, disaster strikes. A graze forward sends in a cross and the ball's in Watford's net. The away supporters go mad with joy. Stan sullenly records the goal in his notebook. That's it. The game's up. We're toast. But then he hears the Watford supporters around him cheering. The goal has been disallowed. It turns out the grey centre forward punched the ball into the net. Stan amends his notebook. Bloody hell, this is killing me. In the last minute, with the game still goalless and the light fading, Watford's Wally Eames sprints down the wing and crosses. An opportunity for glory presents itself to the perfect person, the team's only ever-present outfield player this season, the inside forward Harry Wilcox. Stan rises on his toes and shouts, Go on, Harry, bury it! Wilcox, summing up Watford's season, puts the ball wide by a yard. Stan's knees buckle in disappointment. The match will have to go to extra time. Stan's not sure how much more of this he can stand. But five minutes later, extra time hasn't started. Watford's players are on the pitch, but the Greys' players aren't. No one in the crowd knows what's going on. Stan makes his way down the pavilion side of the pitch to try and find out. On his last night on earth, before he joins Sally, he wants certainty. He sees Freddie Sargent standing at the edge of the pitch. After playing in the team for a decade, Freddie is now on the club committee. Stan's sure Freddie will know the state of play. In awe of one of his all-time heroes, Stan goes up to the man who scored 46 goals in just 41 competitive matches for Watford Rovers. Excuse me, Mr Sargent, sorry to bother you. Do you know what's happening? I know that Grey's United are a tap of the opening outfit, Freddie Sargent growls. But do you know why extra time ain't started? It's going to be dark before long. Grey's United are going home. They say that if they miss their train, they won't be able to get home this evening. What? I oh, know. Pathetic, isn't it? They're a tuppenny apeny outfit. Stan's a bit surprised to hear Freddie talking like this. Freddie used to be a strong supporter of amateurism over professionalism. Maybe the desperation of Watford's situation has changed Freddie's mind. But what's it mean for the result of the match, Mr Sergeant? Will there have to be a replay? Not if I've got anything to do with it. The referee ordered extra time, and by not completing the match, Graves haven't fulfilled their obligations. I'm going to make sure the Southern League Committee decides that Graves must forfeit the game. So, we're safe. Watford will be relegated over my dead body. Stan feels an urge to come up with a phrase about Watford not being relegated over his own dead body, but he finds himself overwhelmed by joy and relief. Yes! He shouts. He throws himself at Freddy Sargent, hugging him tightly. What the hell are you doing? Get off me, man! Stan lets go. Sorry, Mr Sargent, for his such brilliant news. It's made me day. It's made me whole life. Back in his front room, Stan fetches Sally and Archibald's ledger and sits down at the dining table to complete the season's records from his notes this evening. It's going to take him a while but he wants to get it done tonight. Over the next hour or so, he finds himself nodding off a few times. He's so tired. But he keeps going and finally closes the ledger, 
His head is swimming with exhaustion, but he's happy that everything has turned out for the best. He's done right by Archibald, and Watford Football Club have stayed alive. Tomorrow we can join Sally wherever she is. His old Dutch. He looks across the front room and closes his eyes to remember his happiest days with Sally, dancing her around the room. When he opens his eyes again, he finds himself cocooned by a white mist. He's not sure where he is. Soon, the mist begins to clear. Stan finds that he's free from exhaustion. He feels strong. Now, sunshine breaks through the mist and Stan discovers he's in parkland, surrounded by tall trees. It's beautiful. Heavenly, he thinks. In the distance, he can see the outline of the Castlebury Park gates, just across the Rickmansworth Road from the West Hearts Club and Ground. And now he hears voices approaching. He's greeted by an elderly Italian man who introduces himself as Giancarlo, and a hearty old fellow called Albert Grover, who professes to be Henry Grover's grandfather. And they tell him he's in an afterlife where he can watch Watford for the rest of eternity. Stan thinks this sounds pretty good. But then comes the best thing. The very best thing of all. Stan sees Sally. Sally is running across the parkland towards him, smiling and laughing. Stan runs towards her overjoyed. They catch each other and he dances around and round. And he says to her, there ain't a lady living in the land as I'd swap for me dear old Dutch. Stan and Sally sweep to a halt. A few moments later, Stan notices another face he recognises, watching them from beside a tree. Stan is overjoyed again and rushes over. He reaches out to hug the boy. Do not touch me or I will hit you, Mr Stanley Roberts. The End Staying Alive was written and produced by Ollie Wickham. It was read by Colin Mace. For more information on the Hornet Heaven stories, please visit hornetheaven.com Thank you for listening.